This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of achondroplasia from the pediatric section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Achondroplasia is a common congenital skeletal dysplasia caused by an autosomal dominant mutation in the fibroblast growth factor receptor 3 gene. Patients present with rhizomelic dwarfism with characteristic features such as lumbar and foramen magnum stenosis, frontal bossing, and normal intelligence. Diagnosis is made based on family history associated with typical clinical and radiographic features. Treatment involves observation and physical therapy for the majority of spinal anomalies. Surgical spinal instrumentation and fusion are indicated in patients with progressive spinal stenosis associated with neurological deficits. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as incidence of achondroplasia, this is the most common skeletal dysplasia. Moving on to etiology, with respect to genetics, achondroplasia has an autosomal dominant inheritance pattern. Keep in mind that a sporadic mutation is initially seen in greater than 80% of patients, then the inheritance pattern is autosomal dominant. Know that the risk increases with advanced paternal age. Achondroplasia is caused by a G380 mutation of FGFR3, that is fibroblast growth factor receptor 3, on chromosome 4P. Remember that this is a gain-of-function mutation that increases inhibition of chondrocyte proliferation in the proliferative zone of the physis. This results in a defect of endochondral bone formation, and know that this is a quantitative cartilage defect. Associated conditions with achondroplasia include certain medical conditions and spinal manifestations. Medical conditions include weight control problems, hearing loss, tonsillar hypertrophy, and frequent otitis media. Spinal manifestations include lumbar stenosis, thoracolumbar kyphosis, and foramen magnum stenosis. With respect to lumbar stenosis, patients are at risk due to short pedicles, thick facets, and ligamentum flavum, and is most likely to cause disability. Foramen magnum stenosis may cause periods of apnea or sudden death in infants. Moving on to the presentation of achondroplasia, as far as symptoms, patients will have a history of normal intelligence as well as delayed motor milestones. Patients may also have symptoms of spinal stenosis, which can include pseudoclaudication and standing discomfort, numbness and paresthesias, and subjective weakness. On physical exam, you may find rhizomelic dwarfism, in which the humerus is shorter than the forearm and the femur is shorter than the tibia. These patients will have a normal trunk and know that adult height is approximately 50 inches. Facial features include frontal bossing. As far as the extremity exam, you may find trident hands in which the fingers are the same length with divergent ring and middle fingers. You may also find genuvarum, radial head subluxation, and muscular hypotonia in infancy. The spine exam may reveal thoracolumbar kyphosis and excessive lordosis. Moving on to imaging, lumbar spine findings on radiographs include shortened pedicles, a decreased interpredicular distance from L1 to S1, which is pathognomonic, vertebral wedging in thoracolumbar kyphosis, and posterior vertebral scalloping. As far as the pelvis and extremities, recommended views include an AP pelvis and weight-bearing hip-to-ankle AP views. Findings can include a champagne glass pelvis in which the pelvis is wider than deep, squared iliac wings, and an inverted V in the distal femur physis. MRI is indicated to evaluate for spinal stenosis. This is also indicated as an adjunct to a sleep study for screening of foramen magnum stenosis in infants. Now, let's talk about the treatment of spine conditions in achondroplasia. So in the setting of thoracolumbar kyphosis, non-operative options include observation, in which 90% of patients improve, and bracing if persistent vertebral wedging is present after age 3. However, keep in mind that bracing may be poorly tolerated. 
Operative options in the setting of thoracolumbar kyphosis include an anterior strut corpectomy with a posterior fusion or an isolated posterior fusion. Indications for this option includes failed bracing and kyphosis of greater than 45 to 60 degrees. In the setting of lumbar stenosis, non-operative management includes weight loss, physical therapy, and corticosteroid injections. This is indicated as the first line of treatment and it's frequently effective. Operative options in the setting of lumbar stenosis include a multi-level laminectomy and fusion. This is indicated for spinal stenosis with severe symptoms and when non-operative management has failed. Lumbar hyperlordosis is typically treated non-operatively with observation, as any invasive treatment is typically not required. Finally, in the setting of foramen magnum stenosis, this is treated operatively with surgical decompression of the foramen magnum. This is indicated when there is sleep apnea or cord compression present. Now let's talk about treatment of extremity conditions in the setting of achondroplasia. So in the setting of genuvarum, this is treated operatively with a tibial plus or minus femur osteotomy which is based on the center of rotation of angulation or cora. This is indicated when there is pain or fibular thrust and in the setting of progressive deformity. As far as treatment for short stature, operative options include lower limb lengthening which has very controversial indications, however it is feasible due to soft tissue redundancy. Upper extremity lengthening is indicated when upper extremity lengthening is required to maintain activities of daily living. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. A 13-year-old girl presents with her mother for evaluation of left knee pain. Her mother also has short stature and is followed in the orthopedic spine clinic. Both patients have frontal bossing. Full-length standing bilateral lower extremity radiographs of the patient show a pronounced shortening of the femora and genuvarum. An AP pelvis demonstrates squared iliac wings, a champagne glass pelvis, and flattened femoral heads. What is the genetic defect responsible for this condition? And the choices are 1. Cartilage oligomeric matrix protein or COMP on chromosome 17. 2. Cartilage oligomeric matrix protein or COMP on chromosome 19. 3. Fibroblast growth factor receptor 3 or FGFR3. 4. Runt-related transcription factor 2 or RUNX2. And 5. Core binding factor subunit alpha-1 or CBF-alpha-1. The correct answer to this question is 3. Fibroblast growth factor receptor 3 or FGFR3. So the patient in the question stem has a chondroplasia, which is an autosomal dominant condition caused by a defect in fibroblast growth factor receptor 3 on chromosome 4P. A chondroplasia is the most common skeletal dysplasia. 80% of mutations are sporadic, but the condition is autosomal dominant. The mutation affects the gene encoding for the receptor of fibroblast growth factor rather than the growth factor itself. The clinical result is hypoplasia of the long bones formed by endochondral ossification with proximal limb segments more affected than distal. Shirley et al. reviewed the orthopedic implications of a chondroplasia. They note that foramen magnum stenosis, spinal stenosis, thoracolumbar kyphosis, short stature, and genuvarum are orthopedic manifestations of this dysplasia. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, cartilage oligomeric matrix protein or COMP on chromosome 17, and answer 2, cartilage oligomeric matrix protein or COMP on chromosome 19 are both incorrect, as pseudoachondroplasia is caused by a defect in the cartilage oligomeric matrix protein or COMP on chromosome 19. Patients with pseudoachondroplasia have normal facies and no increased incidence of spinal stenosis. 
Answer four, runt related transcription factor two or runs two. And five, core binding factor subunit alpha one or CBF alpha one are both incorrect as cladocranial dysplasia is caused by a defect in the gene encoding for runt related transcription factor two or runs two, also known as core binding factor subunit alpha one or CBF alpha one, which is a transcription factor essential for osteoblast differentiation. Moving on to the next question. A seven-year-old presents to your office for general orthopedic evaluation at the request of his primary care physician. Clinical examination reveals rhizomelic dwarfism, short limbs, and frontal bossing. What physeal zone is affected by the mutation leading to this patient's condition? And the choices are one, zone of hypertrophy, two, reserve zone, three, zone of proliferation, four, primary spongiosa, and five, secondary spongiosa. The correct answer to this question is three, zone of proliferation. So the patient in the question stem has rhizomelic dwarfism and frontal bossing. The most common cause of this is achondroplasia. Achondroplasia results from a mutation in the FGFR3 gene. This leads to abnormal chondroid production in the zone of proliferation of the physis. Achondroplasia is an autosomal dominant condition that results from sporadic mutations in FGFR3. Patients classically have rhizomelic dwarfism. Frontal bossing of the forehead, trident hands, Bowing of the legs, thoracolumbar kyphosis, and hyperlordosis are some of the characteristic clinical findings in this patient population. Aviezer et al. discussed some of the molecular abnormalities related to mutations in the FGFR3 gene. Disruption of this gene in mice leads to an increased length of long bones and the vertebral column. They indicate that treatment strategies for achondroplasia may ultimately take advantage of blocking FGFR3 signaling mechanisms. Chen et al. induced achondroplastic changes in a mouse model. They found that mutant mice had macrocephaly and shortened limbs secondary to limited endochondral bone growth. Relative to wild types, there was a narrowed physeal zone of proliferation. Their findings suggest a critical role for FGFR3 signaling during endochondral ossification. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, zone of hypertrophy is incorrect, as the zone of hypertrophy is affected with fractures and skiffy. Answer 2, reserve zone, is incorrect, as the reserve zone has a low oxygen tension and is implicated in Gaucher's disease. Answer 4, primary spongiosa, is incorrect, as the primary spongiosa is located in the metaphysis and is implicated in the formation of metaphyseal corner fractures seen in child abuse. Finally, answer 5, secondary spongiosa, is incorrect, as the secondary spongiosa is located in the metaphysis and is implicated in skiffy associated with renal osteodystrophy. And moving on to the final question, a six-month-old has a de novo chondrocyte mutation affecting the proliferative zone of the physis. He presents for evaluation of the spine, which shows kyphosis at the thoracolumbar junction. What is the expected natural history of this finding? And the choices are one, gradual progression until skeletal maturity, two, spontaneous resolution by 12 to 18 months of age, three, gradual progression until 12 to 18 months of age, four, fixed deformity with no risk of progression, and five, spontaneous resolution by six years of age. The correct answer to this question is two, spontaneous resolution by 12 to 18 months of age. The child has a contraplasia with thoracolumbar kyphosis. Most kyphoses improve by 12 to 18 months of age as the child begins to walk and improve trunk strength. Achondroplasia is the result of a chondrocyte FGFR3 mutation affecting the proliferative zone of the physis. It arises as a de novo mutation in nearly 80% of patients and is heritable in an autosomal dominant fashion. 
50 to 100% of patients with achondroplasia are born with thoracolumbar kyphosis, as well as other spinal abnormalities. The natural history of thoracolumbar kyphosis is resolution in 90% of affected patients by the age of 18 months, corresponding with improvement in trunk strength and ambulation capacity. For patients with progressive fixed kyphoses or those with neurologic manifestations, spinal fusion can be considered after the age of 4 years, allowing for the patient to grow large enough to accept instrumentation. Shirley et al. reviewed achondroplasia. They note resolution of thoracolumbar kyphosis as a result of the patient walking and gaining truncal strength. Bracing is initiated if thoracolumbar kyphosis develops a fixed component greater than 30 degrees, and surgery is reserved for patients with neurologic manifestations or fixed kyphosis of greater than 50 degrees. Engberts et al. performed a systematic literature review to determine the true prevalence of thoracolumbar kyphosis in children with achondroplasia. They concluded that the literature is sparse and inadequate to determine a true prevalence. Their search produced a prevalence between 50 to 100%. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, gradual progression until skeletal maturity is incorrect, as thoracolumbar kyphosis will tend to resolve by 18 months, but in rare cases can cause progressive and fixed deformities. Answer 3, gradual progression until 12 to 18 months of age is incorrect, as thoracolumbar kyphosis tends to resolve by this time. Answer 4, fixed deformity with no risk of progression is incorrect, as thoracolumbar kyphosis is rarely fixed and rarely progresses. Finally, answer 5, spontaneous resolution by 6 years of age is incorrect, as thoracolumbar kyphosis should resolve prior to 6 years of age. That's all for this review about achondroplasia. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.